Blog Talk Radio. Mr. Pop. The views and opinions of this show do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of this network and its affiliates. down of sports coverage. I am your host, Chris Dietz, right here on the Radio AFS Network, broadcasting via Blog Talk Radio, simulcast on the Arena Sports Network. However you may be listening to us, we thank you for um, being a part of the program today. Uh, If you wish to call the program, our phone number is 646-668-8467. And, of course, we'll take any and all callers talking all sports um, and anything going on. Um, a lot's happened in the last week since uh, we did our last show. Of course, uh, we had a weekend of college football. We had some championship games clinched. Um, so we'll get to that when we do our college football. Um, and we've had 
We've had quite the player movement in the NBA, so we'll break all of that down. And we'll get to the uh, the happenings of the NFL. And we have an update on coaches that we talked about last week that may have their jobs in jeopardy. And we have some new additions to the list. So uh, a lot to do today. Um, all of that coming up, but I want to open the show today with a bit of breaking news that just came across the screen a little bit ago, and being a Mets fan and getting to watch this guy pitch all year long, uh, it was just announced that Jacob deGrom is the National League Cy Young Award winner, and this has been since the season ended and pretty much since kind of July, since it's really the only thing that the Mets have had going on. It's really been the talk of the uh, talk of the town pretty much um, is could Jacob deGrom win the Cy Young despite the Mets record and despite his win-loss record, which um, a lot of people – especially national media. I was just talking to a buddy of mine about this. And, I mean, the numbers that Jake DeGrom put up were ridiculous. His earned run average, his um, his whips, walks, hits per inning pitched, um, his, uh, his perfect, his, uh, not perfect games, but uh, I forget what they, uh, they call it, quality starts. I mean, this this guy pitched out of his mind. If the Met and my buddy brought up this point, and it's something that has to be said, if the Mets could score three to four runs, which is average at best, if they score three to four runs, this guy's got fifteen, sixteen. It's it's not even close. The Cy Young's not even close if if the Mets could only score runs. But I think his runs I think his runs per game, um the, I think the average was like one point something. Like they, the Mets average scoring one run again. Like if this guy gave up a run, basically he didn't win the game. And you know, he had a lot of games where he had the lead or he'd have like a one nothing lead, they'd go to the bullpen, bullpen would blow it, and there you go. So um, you're going to see tomorrow, you're going to see a lot of these um, these media types. You're going to see a lot of them um, – you're going to see them coming out in droves and saying – this is a disgrace. This guy only had 10 wins and looking at, you know, relic figures, you know, that wins and losses on a pitcher, it, it, it's now become such a, such an archaic way of determining how good a pitcher is that determines win loss determines how good your team is, you know, how good you are as a pitcher is your your strikeouts, your walks. Uh, how many guys do you let on base? You know, 
that's what determines a good pitcher, not whether your team wins or loses, because we've seen it now. We've seen the way baseball has gone. It's become compartmentalized. It's become five innings, go to the bullpen, and and that that's a shaky process. One guy comes out of guy comes out of a one run game, bullpen blows it. Guy doesn't get a win. Does that mean he didn't pitch well? Um, you know, we're seeing managers more in tune to pitch counts and saying, oh well, you know, we'll save this guy for you know, we'll save this guy from throwing all these extra innings and all this stuff. So, you know, what Jacob DeGrom did in the season, his stats, if you took just take wins, losses out of the equation, his stats blow away every other pitcher. A lot of people will say Max Scherzer should have got it because of his strikeout totals and all of that. And maybe in a regular year, you know, maybe Max Scherzer does win the Cy Young Award. But this year was just an odd year. And Jacob DeGrom's numbers, you can put Jacob DeGrom's numbers up against anybody, and you'll see that he's just blowing away the competition. There's no, there's nothing other than win-loss. And win-loss is a reflection on the team, not the player. Um, so... That's a little bit of breaking news. We wanted to get that um, covered and out of the way um, early just to uh, give all, give you all, all the information. And it, again, if you got any comments on it, if you, if you want to talk about the Cy Young and uh, if, if you agree that Jacob deGrom is a good candidate or, you know, if you want to, if you want to debate that fact, you're more than welcome to call the show 646 646- Six six eight eight four six seven. We'll be glad to have that conversation with you. All right, now let's get down to business here. Um, so the other breaking news um, from today that we want to get to is. What a debacle the Monday night game in Mexico City has become. Um, I believe it's two. I believe it's yeah. It's next. The next Monday, this Monday is probably the best game um, that we're going to see in the regular season. Uh, the Chiefs and the and the Rams, and it's interesting that the NFL had originally scheduled this game to be played in Mexico City. Um, the teams got a look at the field that they were going to be playing on. It was a soccer field, and it looks like uh, from the pictures I've seen, the field is all torn up. Looks like they had some concerts there that really did a number on the turf, and the players didn't feel safe. So the players said, "We're gonna, you know, we want this game moved." And the NFL has obliged and moved it to LA. That's caused somewhat of an uproar, as far as people have have gone as conspiracy theorists. As anybody, they've said, oh, the league didn't want to play this game in Mexico because it's a good game. 
They only want to send the bad games. Um, I, I just don't buy. I don't buy that. I don't buy that the league wants to, you know, just wants to bring, um, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguar. I mean, they, they do send the Jaguars over to London every year, but that has to do with their stadium and their pulling. But it, it, it's not like the league just wants to send bad games to other countries. The league wants to, the reason they go to Mexico city is they want to spread the league worldwide. So if anything, the league probably wants to spend, send their best teams to other countries to say, this is the best we have to offer. This is what it could be like. And this is why you should enjoy football. So, uh, it's a very interesting dynamic that's going on. And, of course, because it's the Rams and the Chiefs, everybody is, um, you know, excited about it because it's two 9-1. It's two 9-1 teams going at it. They're the most high-profile um, offenses that we have going on. Um, you know, you got... Pat Mahomes, you got uh, the young coach Sean McVay against the old vet Andy Reid. You got um, you know weapons all over the field uh, on both sides. Um, you got two. The Rams have a decent defense. The Chiefs have an abysmal defense. But um, that being said, the the league does they, – they want this game to go off without a hitch, you know. And you don't want people to come back and say, well, we lost Tyreek Evans because – or Tyreek Hill. We lost Tyreek Hill because, you know, we lost him to a foot injury because he was playing on a field surface that wasn't okay. You don't want any of that to happen. You don't want Todd Gurley to have some kind of an injury – and blame it on the turf. You don't that's the last thing you want to have as as an as a league. That's the last they don't want the injuries. They don't want star players having to miss big times, having to miss crucial these crucial times down the stretch. So, it's a good decision to move this game. And I understand people um have it's probably uprooted some people in their travel. You know, people have already planned on going to the game in Mexico. Now they've got to change their plans, go to L.A. I mean, that if you're going, if you're going to Mexico to watch a football game, you know, I'm not crying for you because the players want to say, hey, we don't think that's safe. And because the league says, we want to keep it safe and we want to keep it in an environment we can control. Um, I, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be mad at the NFL for making this kind of a move. Um, it's, it's definitely not something that, It's definitely not something that I'm going to get too up in arms about and be on the back of. If you have the money to 
go to Mexico and watch a football game, I'm sure you have the money to reroute that flight to and reroute all that all your travel expenses to go to um to go to LA or you can just enjoy your time in Mexico and do other things other than the football game. So I'm not gonna feel too badly for you. So that's the big news there. Um other breaking news that we have going on. We have the we had the game on in the studio when it was an actual game. I was watching college basketball because we had the uh, national championship rematch, and it really wasn't a rematch. Um, Michigan right now. Last time I checked, it was fifty-two to it was fifty-two to twenty-four early in the second half. So um, college basketball is off off and running, and this is the problem with college basketball and. Maybe it's just because I am such a college football fan that it irks me when we see this. I mean, this game, they've been – when I was watching college football all weekend, you know, I was watching on Fox, they were pumping up this game. Like, this was going to be the match of the – like, this game mattered. Like, it, it was a big deal that Michigan was playing Villanova. This game means nothing. Villanova's going to get blown out. They're still going to make the tournament and still have a shot. It, it's not like this is the end of the Villanova Wildcats. And that's my problem with college basketball is, like, I'll watch it because I like to watch sports. But it's not something that you can get, that you need to get all riled up about, about a game in, in mid-November. The game in mid-November, this game means nothing. Because when it comes tournament time, people the only thing people are going to say is, well, look at this game. And then they'll say, well, how, how have the Wildcats played since? And that's one of those things that... That's one of the charms of college football, that every game matters. And, you know, this college football playoff committee, we're going to get into the playoff probably in the second hour like we usually do where we spend all our time pretty much on the college game. But we're going to talk about about it right now just a little bit. The, the way things have progressed with this college football playoff, it's gotten a little bit out of control with the way that they've selected the teams and you know their description of the teams, it's not so much the choices. I mean, there are a lot of good choices. There are a lot of good slots. There, there are you know ways people need to um, evaluate teams, but you have to have a consensus idea, and you have to play by the same rules. You know. What works for one team is what works for the rest of your choices. If you're choosing a team and the if you, a lot of people just watch the playoff selection to see where their team is. They don't listen to 
I watch because I want to listen to the committee chairperson. I want to hear them explain some of the major choices. And when it comes down to it, what the committee chairman says is so important to decide to deciphering what is going on in the playoff in the playoff process in the committee's mind. Why did they pick? Why did they pick Michigan over Georgia? Why did they pick? Um, why why did they pick? Why did they leave Oklahoma where they are? Why why is Washington State it, you know at eight? Why why is Ohio State still at ten? Why are these teams down there? You learn that from what the committee chairperson says. And his explanations this week were god awful. I mean, that when they asked him about certain teams, every team had a different had a different metric. Well, this team has the resume, and this team, this team, we we used uh, the eye test of what we saw on the field, and. This team, oh, they have it. They haven't bolstered their resume enough. If you're gonna say it's about resume, tell us it's about resume. If you're gonna tell us it's about play on the field, tell us it's about play on the field. If it's about who you beat, tell us it's about who you beat. If it's about who you lost to, tell us it's about who you lost to, because that's what's important. It's important for us to know what the committee is trying to make with their decisions. Now we'll get into the committee's decisions um, later on in the show when we break it all down, but um, with the college basketball going on and my feelings on college basketball, I felt it was a good time to uh, explain that position right now. And we got a caller and we're at, at a position to take it. So let's take the caller. Here we go. Hey, what's going on, Fit Down Sports Show? Hey, what's up, Chris? It's Niner Faithful. Oh, hey, what's going on, Niner's Faithful? You're just no, in that's time, buddy. Just doing. Good. I seem to be just... doing that, right? I seem to call it the perfect time. <laughs> I was just getting to the NFL topics, so I'll, I'll, I'll kick off since I got you on the show. I'll kick off. With first of all, let me set this up for the listeners, and then I'll I'll, uh, I'll bring you back in to comment. Okay. Um, so on this show, for new listeners and people who have not been with the program, this is our second season that we've been doing this, and in that process, I can count off the top of my head six head coaches or administrators that we on this program have said would lose their jobs and within within the span of a month, sometimes it was even hours after we said it, sometimes it was a, a week or two weeks later, that person was getting fired. We've had about six or seven of those. And last week we said, I said on this program, Bobby Petrino was in trouble. And I wasn't calling for him. I said, if he has a bad game, you could see him go. They had a bad game on Saturday. Monday, Bobby Petrino was fired. We'll put that in our win column. Todd Bowles, we officially fired Todd Bowles. 
Just yesterday, the Jets came out and gave him the dreaded vote of confidence that they won't make a change in season, but you know what that if you if you've been around sports long enough, you know that that means they're not going to do it now, but that Monday then the yeah, season's over. Todd Bowles is gone. That being said, we have another coaching uh I, I have another coaching move that has to be made at this point. Um and anybody who watched the Monday night football game with the Giants and the 49ers, this is not gonna come this is not gonna come as a shock to anybody that watched that football game. Um the Niners the Niners defensive coordinator and I, I was gonna do a lot of research and try to look up who he was and what his background is, but I didn't get to it because either way, the Niners defensive coordinator needs to be fired. Uh, he this is and this is not a one off like oh you lost to the Giants. This is the second high profile game where the defense has melted down on the final drive, allowing the team, the other team to score and win the game. And it's not that, guys, it's not that the Giants made big plays. It's the Giants actually missed the biggest plays that they could have made. One of the plays, I think it was the play where Evan Ingram ran a wheel route on the sideline and Eli threw that one. If you watch the replay, Odell Beckham was streaking down the field wide open. If he hits Odell Beck, if he hits Odell Beckham, a minute, uh, you know, two minutes go. Uh, this is two minutes earlier than the Giants had, had scored. They would have scored. There was nobody covering them. So it, it, there were breakdowns like that all over that final drive, and for that reason. The 49ers, if they're going to go anywhere they want to go, John Lynch has got to call that guy into his office and say, hey, look, we need to change schemes or we need to figure out what you need. You either need to be demoted or you need to just get out of here because we need a change. Um, so with that being said, I got Niners faithful on the line. He's much more connected to the 49ers than I am. So what do you think of – my explanation am i am i missing anything or am i hitting it or am i hitting it on well okay so so to give your listeners a little bit of background on robert sala robert sala comes from seattle he comes from the Pete carroll dan quinn coach, coaching tree uh he was the linebackers coach for jacksonville and was hired as our first time defensive coordinator last year to run essentially rerun the same scheme Seattle does the 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 cover 3 single high safety um so Robert Sala was not Shanahan's first choice the rumors i've heard floating around the team is he really wanted Wade Phillips or Vic Fangio Vic Fangio as we all know pretty much you know the Niners are on his do not return call list and basically took him. You <laughs> know, told sure him he doesn't want. Yeah, he, he basically that. took him. He basically told him to stick it where the sun don't shine, and that oh, yeah. comes from. That comes from. To give a little background on that, that comes from when he was our defensive coordinator with Harbaugh. Um, the job was offered to Fangio. 
Fangio was going to be our head coach instead of Jim Tom Sula. Uh, but he was told that Jim Tom Sula would be his defensive coordinator, and he told the Niners to go shove it. And so that's where that, that, mm-hmm. that all comes from. Of course, as we all know, Wade Phillips took the, um, the job with L.A. So yeah. the, 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 to, get, to get back, I remember that exact play that you're talking about, Chris, the, the one where um, Odell Beckham Jr., was was wide open because I remember I remember looking at the 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 person who I went to the game with I was there Monday night um, I went with the, oh, nice. and I I told her I said I said Eli Manning possibly just saved the game for us I thought the game was over I thought I thought they were gonna he was gonna see Odell he was gonna hit him Odell would have walked walked into the end zone and it it, it uh, you know that would it have been see you later so the issue I have. I'm I'm a type of person that to me you can fire whoever you want, but who are you going to bring in? So my my, my idea of this is okay. You want to fire Robert Sala? That's fine. I my whole thing is if Shanahan couldn't get anybody that he deemed worthy the first go around, what what changes this? And the issue I think goes deeper than Robert Sala. I do believe that there there are coaching issues. I, to me, that what we were told before the season is that the, the, the scheme was stripped back. That it was basically there was a lot of gray areas for players, and they took away the gray area. So the scheme was very simple. But it seems week after week it was like that against Arizona. It was like that against um, – definitely against Kansas City. It seems week after week we're told, well, there's miscommunication. There's miscommunication. There's miscommunication. Well, the, the the two issues I have with that is, is it's either a player issue or a coaching issue. Either the coaches aren't properly communicating to the players or the players are simply just not understanding the scheme. The issue I have with firing Robert Sala, which that that's the cry throughout the Bay Area. I mean, if if if, if this was, if, if Niner fans out here, if the faithful out here, either way, Robert Sala would have been fired after KC. You know, uh, you you keep on talking about defensive meltdowns. Let's not forget that we almost lost to the Lions. We 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 we, we almost mm-hmm. essentially blew that game, and at the yeah. at the very end, we were able to hold on and and and, and make the play. So, matter of fact, Richard Sherman was the one who I believe broke up the fourth down play, which was the last gasp the Lions had. So, next week, of course, as we all know, Jimmy G. Cool blows out his knee, you know, the rest is history. So to me, I I almost feel bad for Robert Sala because I do believe there are issues. I do believe that we have essentially a first time head coach, a first time, uh, a first time head coach slash offensive coordinator, because as we all know, uh, Shanahan could come out and say that he delegates responsibilities all he wants. Uh, Shanahan is essentially our offensive coordinator. Uh, and then we Absolutely. have a first-time defensive coordinator. That's a that's a lot of youth, and I think that you know, obviously, with the whole LA San Francisco thing, you know, I hate the yams, but I think I'll give McVeigh credit because McVeigh did one smart thing. He said, "Let me go get an experienced defensive coordinator." To the point where, well, let's be realistic. Wade Phillips could be a head coach if he really wanted to. So uh, he almost as said, a, as a cowboy, as a Cowboys fan, I'd have to stop you right there. I've seen that show before. 
I've seen and him as the head just, coach before. I've, I've, I'm I, not I've, I've seen I've seen that game. He's a he is a masterful defensive coordinator. He is not a guy you want as the head of your as the head yeah. of your entire team. You just want him in charge of that one section. Him as a defensive coordinator, he's one of the greatest of all time. But not as a head coach. But yeah, well, but continue. What I'm saying is, is head co- head coach like. He knows, Sean McVay knows, hey, Wade Phillips has got the defense. I ain't got to worry about nothing when it, when it comes to the defense. And that's allowed him to focus on the offense. Well, you know, we essentially took a, a, a first-time defensive coordinator. I think that's where the issue is. But to really break down the Seattle scheme, of course, you know, playing Seattle through, you know, the heyday of, of the Niners-Seattle rivalry, I know cover three, <laughs> single high safety more than I'd like to right. know and how well that scheme works. Trust me, I, I know. I am very well aware of how that scheme works. The problem with the scheme is is that, okay, that's fine. You want to use Seattle scheme? I understand. Probably one of the best defensive schemes we've seen in, in this decade. You know, but, okay, that's fine. But where's our Earl Thomas? Where's our Earl Mitchell? I mean, not Earl Mitchell. Um, where's Chancellor. Our, where, 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 Cam Chancellor. There you go. Where, where's uh, where's our Michael Bennett? Where's our Michael Bennett? Hey. You, 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 we basically, everybody who knows is, is, is this essentially football is a player league. You have to have the talent. I mean, anybody who – I remember very distinctly after the game was over, and, you know, the players were starting to clear out and everybody's trying to get their autographs and everything. I remember just looking at the center of the field and kind of looking at the spot where, where the Giants took over and, and marched down the field to, to win the game. And I remember looking at that spot and I remember saying, hey, you know, if I remove myself as probably the biggest Niner fan most people know, and I, and I, I put myself as an outsider and I say, okay, let me see, what team's going to win this game? The team that's lining up Eli Manning, Saquon Barkley, and Odell Beckham Jr., or the team that has Nick Mullins, Matt Breida, and Marquise Goodwin. You, and, and to me, that's the problem where the Niners are is I can understand if we fire Robert Sala. I'm not saying that we shouldn't fire him, but I don't think that. I think that's putting a Band-Aid on gangrene. I think what it's boiling down to is Where's our talent? Where's where's our talent? I mean, Solomon Thomas, I think, I don't want to say bust, because that's a very strong word. I, I have a firm belief that if a player works hard and, and, you know, really dedicates himself, like, you know, everybody, everything that I've heard from people that cover the team that I talk to, you know, a couple of people I know that work for the Niners, Solomon Thomas is one of the hardest working players on the team. So I, I, I just believe that when you put in that much hard work, you're going to do nothing but get better. But I think he does have a ceiling. And I think he'll have the arbitrage around his neck will always be the third overall pick. He's not the third overall pick. You know, Reuben Foster. Yeah, no. I love Reuben he, Foster. Reuben, I, I love Reuben Foster. up there, and, 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 you know, everything that he is. But to, to me, I remember when I was on my show, I did the show from the tailgate this week, 
And I said, I remember when we played the Saints in 2011, and Dante Hittner had a hit on Pierre Thomas that I literally think set the rest of the tone for the rest of the the game. That was, I think that that, that that fumble on the goal line. If everybody, anybody who watched that game knows the play I'm talking about. It was it was towards the goal line. Dante Whitner comes with with, with now it would be a penalty. It was a helmet to helmet hit. But under the rules back then, it wasn't a penalty. Coughed up the football, we recover, you know. I, and, and to me, that's what's missing from the Niners' defense. Where's the tone setters? I mean, the our Giants have the worst offensive line in the league. Eli Manning's the most sacked quarterback in all football. And we got one sack. Mm-hmm. One sack. And so to that. me, and so, to me, fire Robert Sala, yeah, I do think there are legit reasons to fire Robert Sala. I do think we've had far too many miscommunications, you know, this year on defense. I think he's tentative. I think he's – I think he sticks to the scheme too much, and I don't think that he kind of molds the, the, the scheme around. I mean – like with Solomon Thomas, they essentially want him to be Michael Bennett. They want him to be able to, to be a, a D end and then on rushing downs, rush from the inside. The problem is Solomon Thomas's position is basically, basically our best defensive lineman, which you would say DeForest Buckner, Solomon Thomas, and Eric Armstead, and maybe throw in Sheldon Day in there, essentially all play the same position. And so is that Robert Sola's fault? No, that's – John Lynch's fault. The, 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 you know, we knew that that pass rush was an issue going in the off season. Our biggest move was to bring in Chris Kiffin, who's Mo- Monty Kiffin's son, to to coach the pass rush. So to me, I do believe there are reasons to fire Robert Sala. I don't agree disagree with you on that. But if people are thinking that firing Robert Sala is going to make mysteriously turn the Niners into a top ten defense. I think you're sadly mistaken. I think that if, if we think fire Robert Sala is going to solve our defensive issues, we're putting a Band-Aid on green and green. The, 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 the issue that we have is we simply just don't have any pass rush. It's a rush and cover game on defense. And I, I think that while Akilo Witherspoon, who was the one that gave up the game-winning touchdown, um, Akilo Witherspoon has had his struggles and has regressed this year. I think a killer Weatherspoon looks a, a lot better when you have a legit pass rush. I think that that, that that a lot of our issues get covered up with a pass rush. And also, I think that when you look at the Niners, losing number 10 can't be greatly overlooked. I mean, you know, I know that I'm not talking to just Niners fans here, so I know that everybody's opinion that the Niners were crazy for giving them you know, seventy-four million guaranteed and and all that, but but clearly Jimmy Garoppolo is the best quarterback on our roster. Nobody can argue that. So losing your starting quarterback and your you know week three, and losing your starting running back week one, you know we all know what what's the the, the best cure for a, a bad defense? We'll keep them off the field. You know, a lot of defenses oh, yeah. look great. A lot of the defenses look great when they're not on the field. You know, when they're only on the field for maybe six drives. You know, a lot of defenses look great. So, my curiosity and my question to actually you, Chris, and, and the reason I actually really wanted to call in is: 
Uh, fine. Uh, Jed York calls you up right now and says, Chris, you know, we really, really expect your opinion. We, we'll fire Robert Sala. Who are we bringing in? Who, and when I go on the show on Monday, who can I tell Niner fans to uh, keep an eye out on? Well, here's here's where I'm gonna I'm gonna meld I'm gonna meld I'm I'm gonna do a little molding here and because I think this would work pretty much perfectly. If you take my show from last week, where I told you Todd Bowles is no longer going mm. to be the Jets head coach. Well, where did Todd Bowles get his coaching? Where did he put his coaching in? Oh, wait, the Arizona Cardinals. What division are they in? Mm-hmm. The NFC West. NFC what West. is he going to know best? NFC West NFC teams. West. It, it, it almost fits too perfectly to say, all right, look, we know this year we don't have a quarterback. We're going downhill. We'll ride out this yeah. year. We'll ride out this year, and that Monday we're going to make changes. And if if Todd Bowles becomes available, as I think he will, and could even I be agree before with you. then, you know, I that would be my number. That would be my first choice because, like you said, you have Kyle Shanahan, who's a you know first time head coach. Now you've got a guy who's had head coaching experience, so he can be mm-hmm. another mm-hmm. voice in that locker room. Um, and one of the things I wanted to met, I, I want, I, I didn't want to stop you while you were going there, but when you yeah, mentioned Wade Phillips, when you mentioned Wade Phillips being in, uh, being such a great pick from Sean McVay, the other thing yeah. that he does for Sean McVay is Wade Phillips can be. The, I mean, he can be another voice in that locker room. He can be the antithesis, antithesis to Sean McVay. Every time you see Sean McVay, he's overly positive. You know, he's playing like like yeah. he's the good cop. Like he's on the player side. He's that guy. Yeah. And then you have Wade Phillips there, who can, who has been a head coach, has the pedigree to slam the you know be the bad cop. To be there. on the wall. That that could be the Kyle Shanahan kind of thing. Bring Todd Bowles in. Say, Todd, you have you have full reign on the defense. You get them going however you want, and he can be that that voice to slam them. And then Kyle Shanahan can be the one that you know. Uh, yeah. Where I want to frame this is Todd Bowles can be the hammer, and and you know, and then uh, Kyle Shanahan can pick up the pieces. That's kind of the mold that you, that that would fit for that that scheme. The other thing about Wade Phillips, and if you look at good defensive coordinators and guys like Dan Quinn, who is the head coach now in Atlanta, and okay, Atlanta. There's another there's another name for you. I mean, if the Falcons the, after the Falcons lost to the Browns, the Falcons lost to the Browns. So Dan Quinn could yeah. be on a he could be he could be on on some on some of his he could be wearing thin down in Atlanta if things go they got the Cowboys this week if things start to go awry and there's a mess in Atlanta and he comes available again there's another defensive coach that's available 
um, out there. But the point I was making is if you look at the best defensive coordinators out there, the best defensive coordinators are not running their scheme. They're not sitting there saying, all right, we're going to sit back and cover three and we're going to double team Saquon Barkley every play, no matter what. No, they don't do that. When they see that it's not working and the team is driving down to the 20-yard line and the team, you know, the Giants are going in for a game-winning score and you're saying, our pass rush can't get there, we need to blitz. They're going to come with an exotic blitz. They're going to come with something different. Give the, they're going to give that offensive line a different look and say, here we are, beat us. They're not just going to line up and say, well, we've been doing this same thing. That, that to me is more damning than, all right, you gave up a winning touchdown. But you gave up a winning touchdown and you didn't experiment anything. You tried nothing different. I watched, I watched that game, and, and since you were there, you probably saw this as well. There were three plays in a row from the 20-yard line where they showed it on, on television, and even Jason Witten could break it down, and he's one of the worst TV guys out there right now, and pains me to say because Witten is one of my favorite players yeah. of all time. But, but yeah, in the booth, he's terrible. He, I, I wear my Witten jersey still, but oh, in yeah. the booth, he, in the booth, oh, God. But even he, could, even he, even he, he had, they put a package together. They went to a timeout. They put a package together, and they showed the, the linebacker and the safety are double-teaming Saquon Barkley every play. That's two guys out of your defense that are not covering anybody else, and Evan Ingram was killing you. Like, at some yeah. point, you have to say, hey, guys, look, this ain't working. We're going we're gonna to shadow we're going to shadow Saquon, but we've got to bring somebody. We've got to make that. And, and that's, that's the thing that was really frustrating as somebody who lives in the Northeast and has watched the Giants since the preseason. In the preseason, yeah. you knew going into the game, anytime you play the Giants, if you rush them with four, they're going to look great. But if you bring that fifth guy, if you bring a fifth guy, they have no idea what they're doing. And we saw – as a Cowboys fan, you saw that in week two. Ron Marinelli was just bringing everybody up the gut and saying, all right, we're going to bring five. We're going to bring six. And we're going to say, try to block us. And the Giants had no idea what they were doing. And the, 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 the thing that was most frustrating about the rushing four is it's clear to anybody that follows the Niners, and I don't know too many opinions from the outside, but our best – Matter of fact, he was probably our best defensive player. Is the Forrest Buckner, and so mm-hmm. my whole thing about it is, is that even bringing, you know, they always say if you bring five, you know, you you got to get home, especially with a with an established veteran quarterback like Eli Manning. But my thing about it is, I'll take let's just say six blitzes, getting the Forrest one, the Forrest Buckner one on ones, and out of those six one on ones, I feel the Forrest Buckner is going to at least win three of them. You know, that that was yeah. my issue is 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 and, and the most frustrating part about watching it as a Niner fan is 
is if we bring our best and, and, you know, the coaches can sit out there and say, look, we tried something different. We tried everything that we could. We went out guns blazing. Then, hey, you know what? We're both, you know, we're both, we're obviously both, you know, both teams are obviously, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, seasons are done. So, hey, you know, we went out guns blazing. I can always stand by my team if I know, you know, we went down swinging. I always stand by my team and just say, hey, we didn't have it this week, you know. But the thing that to, 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 before I get out of here uh, real quick is I I have to go handle some things. But um, before yeah. I got out of here, I wanted to to, to to give you one more comment, which you brought about how you know Wade Phillips can be that extra voice in the locker room. What is 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 coming around here, and and you're starting here grumblings is of Kyle Shanahan's inability to hold on to gain uh, to leads in the fourth quarter. Uh, this this is I want to say there was uh, Arizona comes up to mind. We were we we're up. I think it was I want to say fifteen to three, fifteen to three. I want to say it was in the fourth quarter in Arizona. Um, and so to me, I think that Kyle Shanahan is aggressive, and 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 it's the same with McVay. I think that they they want to score on every play. It's we want to throw the ball down the field. We want. 800 yards of offense, we want 15. You know, we all saw what Kyle Shanahan did in Atlanta. And obviously that's what he wants to turn the Niners into, and I don't think any Niner fan complains. But anybody that watched that Super Bowl knows that the number one player that essentially decided that Super Bowl was, was Kyle Kyle Shanahan runs the ball on third down. The, the Falcons win that Super Bowl. And I think right. almost that year in Kyle Shanahan's, I think what, what – Let's just say Todd Bowles, if, if we go ahead and, and, and agree to what you're saying, is Todd Bowles can be that 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 voice in his ear saying, "Run the football, run the football." Mm-hmm. You, you know, you're you're for for a while, and this was another frustrating thing about Niner fans was for a while Matt Breida was up there in 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 NFL as far as yards, and we were up there in, as far as uh, yards per carry. And it, and it would just seem like we would look at the end of the game, and I remember a game where C.J. Beathard threw the ball like 47 times. And you you just look at it, and you say, that, 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 that's just way too many times dropping back with, A, with C.J. Beathard as your quarterback, and B, when, you, when you're, you know, number at the time we were number one in the league in yards per carry, you run the football. And so – I, I think that they're not going to do just to, to kind of wrap it up here. They're not going to do anything in season. Uh, if they are, I would think it would be this week since it's the bye. But uh, Shanahan was asked today on his press conference if there were any changes immediate, and he said not as far as you know that that he basically uh, to put it in layman's terms, Saul is going to get chewed out. Saul is going to be told, hey, look, your job's on the line. It, basically what he said is everybody in the organization is under evaluation, which basically tells you, hey, look, Saul, if you don't get your crap together, we're going we're gonna to have some issues here. You know, and and, and that's, what, that's, what I think, that's what I think is going to happen. That's what I think needs to happen. I, I don't think it's going to happen in season. If it does happen in season, so you're not going to see somebody else brought in. You're just going to see somebody moved up to interim defensive coordinator or they probably something do, like that. They probably do Hoffley, it, our defensive backs coach, 
but probably but who I this, would assume would get the at, promotion. At this point, I mean, at this point in the season, you're you're two and nine, or uh, yeah, I think I think two and nine yeah, two or nine. two and eight, one of those. I mean, it, what is firing? What is firing a coordinator going to do other than you know you have to pay that you know you have to pay that guy pay him out to get him out of there. That that's exactly. about that's about it. But as I said, at the end of the season, when there are guys, when there are going to be guys available, we know coaches are going to get fired. We know uh, whole coaching staffs are going to get whole coaching staffs are going to get ripped open. That's when that's when we can really go out and say, all right, this is the best person for that job. But I think that Monday, what they call Black Monday in the NFL, yeah. this defensive coordinator is going to have his name on that list. Uh, I, I fully agree with you. And not that he's not a good coach. I think he's honestly a, a good coach. And I, I almost think that it, somebody has to be the fall guy. And so you're not going to turn over a whole defensive roster. So it's kind of easier to just fire a coach than, you know, cut your entire defensive roster. So I think he'll be the fall guy for what I believe is a lack of talent. Absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, some injuries, some injuries have a key factor into that. I'm not going to lie. You know, we have suffered some injuries. But, you know, it, it, it's just nothing. And it's the same thing, goals, you know. So I uh, just want to give you uh, – say thank you, Chris, for, for giving me an opportunity um, to uh, to come on your show and, and just to give my little uh, two cents. We'll be we'll – be, uh, I'll be talking to you about getting you on to pretty soon to, to be doing some draft stuff. Since, uh, oh, obviously, within a couple, absolutely. Anytime, within, within a couple and, weeks. Within a couple anytime, weeks. Anytime start, we do uh, – Any. Anytime we do, anytime we do 49ers talk, you know, you're, you know, you're the first guy. I'm like, all right, we're talking 49ers. I, I need, I need Niners faithful to come on, come on and make, make sure I'm giving, giving the right information out. So uh, you're awesome. always, our, always our first so choice when it comes to Niners. And for all the people listening out there, if you're a Niners fan, Mondays, uh, six o'clock, my time, yes. three o'clock, Three o'clock your time, right? Yes, 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 yes. And uh, so, first of all, go Niners, everybody. Um, any Niner fans on? We we are the show for the faithful. I'm uh, I'm just like you. I'm not a media member. I'm, I'm like I said. I, you'll find me at the tailgate drinking beers and getting nuts just like anybody else. We're on every Monday, uh, like Chris said, uh, 3 p.m. here on the West Coast, uh, 6 p.m. Eastern. You can find us at on Facebook at Niner Faithful Radio. Same with Instagram and Twitter is Niner Faithful R. Uh, really appreciate it, Chris. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks for coming on, man. No problem. All right. So that was Niner Faithful and uh, got me j- uh, jumping ahead in the schedule, but we're, we're always glad to uh, accommodate our, our callers and anytime we have – uh, big stories we like to bring people in who are closer to the uh, to the events than uh, than we are. Obviously, out here we, we like to get the personal touch and um, you know get the insider info on on team on, on your team. So, um, but just to wrap up that segment, um, 
again, I mentioned it at the start. We do have a knack on this program for telling you, hey, this coach is going to change, go here. This guy needs to leave. Um, my prime example is last year about – it was pro- I think it was mid-October of last year, the Nebraska athletic director said something stupid. I said, this guy needs to be fired yesterday. And literally woke up the next morning after our show had aired and the Nebraska athletic director was let go of his position. That that's our go to. I mean, our first show ever on the on this network, our first show ever that we've ever done. We fired Butch Jones. What happened in Tennessee? Butch Jones got fired. We fired um um blanking on I'm uh we fi- I fired Jim Mora in the middle of a game uh from UCLA. He got fired. I think it was like two weeks later that that Jim Mora was let go. Um, We had the Texas A&M. We had the Texas A&M coach. I think we fired him. I think our second, first or second show, we we talked about on the first show. I think we actually pulled the trigger on the second show that we had. Middle of the season, they announced that uh, he would not be be back as head coach. We announced on this show Jimbo Fisher – would be moving to Texas A&M. We announced Willie Taggart to Florida State. These were weeks before the actual events. So this show does have a track record of picking our spots and, um, you know, when we notice. And it's like Niners Faithful was saying at the end, this is in no way a reflection of um, the 49ers defense coordinator. This is no – Reflection of his coaching ability, um, you know, he 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 can he he definitely can get a linebackers coaching job with another organization. Um, he's definitely worthy of that. I think he's just over his head at defensive coordinator, and you can see it as I was mentioning. If you watch good defensive coordinators, and the guy you have to go to is Wade Phillips. Wade Phillips, Rod Marinelli. Um, in the old days with the Packers, it was Dom Capers. Um, you know, Dick LeBeau. The if you study good defensive coordinators, they don't they change their system when they realize things are going to hell. They they don't just stay in whatever they have and. Uh, you can go to the greatest defensive coordinator of all time and now the greatest head coach, Bill Belichick. What is Bill Belichick's main uh, – what is his aura? What is What makes Bill Belichick the best defensive coordinator ever? It's that when he created the defense in New England, they were a mixed defense. He was the – you know, he took a defense and said, all right, here, we're going we're gonna to show blitz. We're going to back out of blitzes. We're going to show you – different things. And but if something's not working, we're going to try something else. We're going to we're not just going to sit back and let you carve us up. That's that's not what good defensive coordinators do. They change things up. If backing out into zone is not working, we're going to bring six and make sure that we have a free rusher and try to get home with that. Now, if 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 our blitz is getting picked up, 
we're gonna we're gonna drop to a zone. We're gonna we're gonna rotate our zone. We're not just gonna sit here and double cover uh, the running back every play and take two guys out of our defense and leave Evan Ingram to run around and, and make plays. Leave Sterling Shepard wide open. These are these are things that normal that that the defensive coordinators do on a normal basis. You see it every time when you watch those good defensive coordinators. Um, so that's the main thing that I saw on Monday night was that there was just no uh, intuition. There was no innovative scheme. There was no hey, we got to switch this up. And that, to me, told me, all right, this guy's over his head. And if the 40, and as we said, the 49ers are already 2-9. and nine. Changing the defensive coordinator is not going to all of a sudden make the – I mean, even if, even if they fired the defensive coordinator and went out and won their last five games, 7-9, and nine, you're not going anywhere at 7-9. and nine. So to fire him in season doesn't make sense, but – at the end of the season, they need to move on. And as as I said to Niners Faithful, it could work where Todd Bowles is gone. He knows the NFC West better than anybody. That would be my first call. Second call, second call would be to um, you know we'd have to see how it plays out. But I, I mean, I just said it. Dan Quinn could be about Dan Quinn would probably be my first call. Todd Bowles would be my second call, but I don't know if the Falcons are ready to part ways with Dan Quinn just yet. Um, after after this game with the Cowboys and after a couple games on their schedule, if the Falcons are still sitting at four wins, if they're they fall to four and eight, four and nine, you, you could definitely see those rumblings coming. So um, that's an interesting way. An interesting guy, just for um, just for the Niners faithful, brought it up. It, it, there, there's a couple of guys sitting out right now that you could bring in that are big names. They're big names. They got big auras. Um, I think one of them is is set in his ways. Um, so and set set over at ESPN. And that's Rex Ryan. Don't make, don't make, you know, don't let his coaching, his his deal as a head coach, don't let that influence you. Rex Ryan is a great defensive coordinator. Rob Ryan is a good defensive coordinator. He's not great like Rex, but Rob Ryan is a good schemer. He does. Um, but he he does rub people the wrong way. Um, we know that we know we know that from his days with the Saints, his days with the Patriots. But he is a defensive guru. They they are guys who know defense. So if you're looking for guys who are out of work right now that you could bring in, um, those would be uh, those would be guys I would definitely give give a call to. You also got other guys like Brian Cox. Um, Guys who have had coaching experience. Brian Cox has never been a coordinator, but he's he's had experience with Bill Belichick. He's had experience with Atlanta, um, so he's got coaching experience on the defensive side. Um, 
So that's another name out there that just to throw some names out there that could be available. All right. We're into the second hour, and um, I just want to touch on a little bit of NFL. Um, the NFL, I, I'm excited because we, we got to start breaking down some divisions. And, you know, divisions are important in the NFL. Um, we talked last week. Um, we had a caller call up about the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, I told you they had to show me something before I would believe in them. They showed me something on Sunday, and that is that I was right not to believe in them. Uh, the Saints waxed them. The Steelers, with how they played on Thursday night, you have to believe the Steelers are the class of the AFC North. Um, until I see differently, we'll, uh, we'll continue to go down that road. Um, AFC East, we don't need to break down. Um, New England is going to run away with it. Um, the question is, can Miami play good enough to sneak into a wild card? That remains to be seen right now, but um, um, I, I would say the uh, I would say the Patriots are the class of the division. All right. But I'm interested in the AFC South. The AFC South is a very good race. You got Houston, Tennessee, Indianapolis, Jacksonville. Who know? You know Jacksonville. What happened with them? Um, obviously, losing Leonard Fournette. When, if, when, or if they get him back, could they make a push? I mean, three games out is a long way to go. But only being Two games in the loss column um, out of a wild card spot. Could Jacksonville sneak in as a wild card? You never know in that division. We've seen the Titans play the Cowboys well um, on Monday night a couple weeks ago. Last weekend beating the Patriots. So you have to give Tennessee some credit there. Houston's only at 6-3. So uh, a a big game this week with Tennessee and Indianapolis. to really decide who's going to challenge in that in that division. In the AFC West, it's the Chiefs and the Chargers, and that's pretty much it. The Broncos and the Raiders. We know we talked about the Raiders last week. They are pretty much in tank mode. Uh, the Broncos are, are getting there to that to that mode. So we got all of that going on. Um, let's just continue. Let's go to the NFC though. The NFC, the NFC West, we, we just talked a lot about the 49ers, but the Rams are running away with that. Um, Seattle, four games back, the Rams aren't going to drop four. You know, they're not going to drop four out of their next, out of their last uh, five games. So Seattle's in trouble. Um, so I think the Rams are going to run away with that one. With New Orleans, we talked about Atlanta and their struggles this year. So, in the South, the Saints look like the best team in football. Um, the Carolina Panthers, uh, we saw what ha- – they've beaten up on pretty much bad teams. Um, they still have to prove themselves. I still think they are the best of the wild card. Um, if you had to ask me who's going to get the wild card, I would say Carolina is a, a lock for one of the wild cards. And – you look at the NFC North, Chicago leads it 
But I, I think that could be misleading as well. I really think Minnesota and Green Bay are within striking distance. Um, so I think I, I think Green Bay and Minnesota, we're still waiting for Green Bay to – the real Green Bay team to show up. Um, Minnesota is right there with Chicago. They got that – both Green Bay and Minnesota have that stupid tie. So it, it, it kind of screws things up there. But um, I really like that division. The most interesting division, I think, is the NFC East. And a lot of people will say, oh, you know, the NFC East is garbage this year. The, you know, if you watch the Redskins and Tampa Bay, the Redskins had an interesting game last week. I mean, they got outgained by Tampa Bay, yet they won the game because Tampa Bay turned the ball over a bunch of times. So the Redskins are at the top of the division. But you look at the next couple weeks, uh, they play Dallas. They still have two games against Philly. So if Philly sweeps the Redskins, Philly's at the top of the division. I was talking with a buddy of mine who is a Redskins fan. I have another friend who is an Eagles fan. So we all like to go back and forth with each other. Um, I, I don't think either of those teams are out. I mean, Dallas... He, my my friend told me uh, when I comment when, in one of the comments, he said, "Oh, Dallas is an awful team." I said, "If Dallas is an awful team, what does that say about the Redskins? They're only separated by a field goal post. If, if the Dallas kicker doesn't hit the post, we're talking about a different set of circumstances because Dallas is only one game back with a with with a chance to sweep the season series." And we know coming up on Thanksgiving, Dallas-Washington will be a big game. Uh, I've said this before, um, Thanksgiving is not kind to the Washington Redskins, so it'll be an interesting thing to um, – so that will be a big game. But the next three weeks for the Dallas Cowboys, and I just want to bring the schedule up because I was looking at it. The next three weeks will tell us about the Dallas Cowboys. If they can get through, actually, the next four weeks, if the Dallas Cowboys can get through the next four weeks at two and two, um, preferably, I think they have to go three and one in this in this tough stretch. Um, they can go two and two, but those two losses have to be to the Falcons and Saints. You know, I, I don't think they can afford to lose in the division, but I think. You look at the Cowboys' next four games. At the Falcons, Redskins on Thanksgiving, Saints on the Saints on the following Sunday with the extra rest, and and then the Eagles the next the next Sunday the Eagles. Oh, it looks like no the the Saints Cowboys is on a Thursday night, so it's actually so they'll play two Thursday night games. They'll play Thursday on Thanksgiving, then they'll play the next Thursday against the Saints. So the Saints will be coming off a short week. The Cowboys will have a full week. So if they can get, if they can steal the Falcons game, if they can beat the Redskins and they can, and they get the Eagles again at home, if they go three and one in these next four weeks, they're going to be sitting pretty because the last three games of the season, the Giants who are going to be completely 
you know, they're already completely checked out. But the last game of the season, I think the Giants will be even more checked out. Tampa Bay the week before that, and the Colts the week before that. So it, it, it's all there for the Dallas Cowboys schedule-wise. If they can beat the Redskins, get to a one-and-one tie with them, head-to-head, um, that bodes well for them. If they beat the Eagles, they get the two-game. They get the tiebreaker lead on them. Um, so it's a very – the next month will tell us if the Dallas Cowboys are uh, contenders or not. The Eagles have the toughest schedule left out of that group. Uh, the Redskins have the easiest schedule out of that group, but they do have the two games against the Eagles – a game against the Cowboys. So that division is far from being set, far from being over. So um, let me just look at the full playoff standings, see where we would sit right now. I mean, right now you'd be sitting at, you got the Bengals and Titans and Dolphins vying for that, the final wild card spot with teams in striking distance, the Ravens and the Colts. Um, so that's an interesting look there. You look at the, um, in, in the NFC, in the NFC wild card, you're looking at Carolina and Minnesota right now with Green Bay, Atlanta, Seattle, Dallas, Philly, all within striking distance of the Minnesota Vikings, um, going on there. So that's that's the NFL. Um, that's what the NFL has going on. We're going to spend the rest of the time talking college football. Then we'll make some picks to end the show. And um, we'll, we'll go from there. So, all right. Let's, let's switch gears over to college now. Um, not much to break down as far as the uh, games go during the year. You know, we like to do biggest winners, biggest losers. Well, I'm just I'm, I'm going to abbreviate it a little bit because uh, we didn't have much change at the top. We didn't have much change at the top. Um, my biggest winner of the week is obviously the Northwestern Wildcats and Snowman will uh, – for those of you listening on Arena Sports Network, know the snowman in the morning. Um, you know he's a big Wildcats, big Northwestern guy. Um, and they were able to beat Iowa, which on this show, you can if you can beat Iowa, you can beat anybody. We, we've said that a bunch on this show. We're not shy. We're not shy of it. We don't back down. We still continue to say, go Iowa. Um and we root for everybody in Iowa. We do root for the uh, the guys over at the department store in Ames, Iowa, as well, um, in Iowa State. So we we we're, we're across the board. We we do cover Iowa better than anybody outside of Des Moines. So, um, but anyway, back to Northwestern. Northwestern clinched a spot in the Big Ten championship, which is a big thing about the playoff. The playoff. You know, I think that's going to be huge coming down. If you're a Michigan or an Ohio State fan and you want to get your team in, you need to become the biggest Northwestern Wildcats fan for the next 
for for the rest of the season until that championship game. You can't afford to have Northwestern lose a game to an Illinois or I think they have I think they have Illinois and they have uh, Minnesota left. We saw Minnesota put up some numbers, uh, put up a, a, a big a big win on Purdue. They ran up the score on that one. So you cannot afford to have Northwestern sleep on Minnesota. I don't think anybody I, – I think you could sleepwalk through Illinois right now. Lovey Smith is uh, not having a good run with the Illini. Um, I, I think that's not going to be a contest. That Minnesota game could be trouble for Northwestern because it, it, these are college kids. The game doesn't matter. It, it doesn't really make a difference to Northwestern whether they win or lose. They're they're in the playoff. They're in the championship game. No matter what happens, they could lose the last two and still get in. But if you're a Big Ten fan and you want a Big Ten team in the Final Four playoff, you need Northwestern to be going in hot. You can't have them. You can't have a five-loss, six-loss Northwestern. Uh, in your championship game, that will not bode well when you have Oklahoma and West Virginia both with one loss. They still have to play each other, so one of those teams is going to have two losses. That's going to be, you know, that could be your championship game um, in the Big 12, and now you're looking at, you know, Oklahoma. Let's just say it's Oklahoma just – just just for just for uh kicks and giggles here um if Oklahoma beats north beats West Virginia, you know they both have one loss they go to that that final the final game of the regular season um Oklahoma beats West Virginia West Virginia goes into the championship game with two losses on the season Oklahoma has just just the one if Oklahoma beats them again. They have another win over team, and the most losses that West Virginia will have is three. So, you know, what will the committee will the committee look at that and say, well, that's a quality win. Meanwhile, Michigan or Ohio State, you know, whoever wins that is going to have one loss, but it's going to be an argument of, well, who did they beat in their championship game? Oh, they beat Northwestern. You know, if Northwestern has five or six losses, that's going to look worse than if they are now where Northwestern has four losses. So big, so uh, big ups to the, um, to the um, Northwestern Wildcats clinching the division, clinching the West division. Now they got to take care of business and finish out the season and and get that going. Um, another. So they were my biggest winners. Um, you know, we didn't have that many. Uh, you couldn't really say who the biggest loser was of the week. I mean, nobody within the top, really the top teams really lost. You, there was absolutely no change in the top 10, um, which by default makes UCF the big loser this week because they didn't move up at all and they they need a lot of help. Um, 
I think they'll get a lot of media help this week by being in, by having game day finally recognize UCF. They'll be in Orlando for UCF against Cincinnati, which uh, uh, a friend of mine brought to my attention, and I was surprised because game day always says, oh, we like to go to the biggest games. Well, the biggest game next week is being played at Yankee Stadium. I would figure game day would be all over the venue at Yankee Stadium. You're never going to get a game like this at Yankee Stadium where it's a playoff, a, a potential playoff ruining game um, going in. So, um, anyway, let's get to the playoff rankings before we start our uh, start analyzing next week's games. Um, let's go to the CF. Let's go to the CFP right now. Um, obviously, it, 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 it's not a, it's not any joke. At, if 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 my co-host, if the Walrus were still here with us, I would bring up the fact that Alabama is taking on the Citadel, and the Citadel could be a, a, a and the Citadel playing in a big game. I know I was listening to one of our old programs where he was just ripping the Citadel for me even mentioning them, but they are they do exist. The Citadel does play. And they did have a – they had an interesting uh, – it was interesting last year. Clemson beat the Citadel and dropped in the rankings last year. That was why we were talking about them. Um, Alabama, I don't think the same thing will happen to Alabama. All right, that's good. Just got notification of something I will bring up at the end of the show. But um, all right. Ruin my train of thought, but that's okay. Um, so anyway, Alabama and Clemson. Clemson, a uh, little bit slow out of the gate in Chestnut Hill and Boston College, but they ended up pulling it out, uh, winning by 20. So we're, we're good with that. Um, Notre Dame, Notre Dame uh, absolutely wiped the floor with um, – with Florida State, and obviously it's not a Florida State team that, um, you know, it's a very down Florida State team. So no change in the top three. I don't uh, – I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, I have it the same, Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame. We talked last week about Georgia and Michigan. I have them flip-flopped. I have Georgia at four, Michigan at five. The playoff rankings have Michigan at four, Georgia at five. This is where it came in, and the discussion with the committee chairperson really came into into effect. And he said, "Oh, Michigan on the field is 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 playing is playing much better." But then when he talked about Oklahoma, when they asked him about Oklahoma, they said. Well, we went to the resume, and we looked at the resume of this team. And and I said last week, on the field, I believe Georgia's the better football team than Michigan. Um, I would love I would love my buddy Ben, who is a Georgia resident, um, but a Michigan fan. Um, if things play out where Michigan and Georgia, where Michigan is playing in the Big Ten championship. I'm gonna try to get uh, I'm gonna try to get my buddy Ben to come on 
and talk about Michigan, talk about Georgia, because he's right there. Those are his teams, and we'll have that debate. Um, we're not Oklahoma sitting at six. I know that the, the media and the people, they don't like the Oklahoma defense. Nobody does. Uh, there's nothing you could say about the Oklahoma defense that would make you feel good about them, but the their offense is electric. I mean, their offense is awesome, but defensively, they had Bedlam on Saturday, and it was exactly that. It was exactly Bedlam. They had a thousand yards between them. I think I think they ended the game with something like twelve hundred yards between the two of them. And it was ridiculous. That game was just ridiculous. Nobody could stop anybody. So Oklahoma's always going to be looked at that. They're going to look at that defense and say it's not a championship defense. The thing about that, thing, I, the way I look at that is, look, I, I don't look at it as, well, their defense is, gonna, is not going to be Who's going to stop that offense? That offense is championship potential. Um so uh, I'm not going to sit here, and, and a win is a win. You know, whether you give up a th- – if you give up 500 yards but you get 600, it, that's that's one way to win, you know. If you give up 35 and you only get 100 yards of offense, you it, it still counts as a win. So I'm not going to sit here and say – I'm not going to sit here and say Oklahoma's the better of – Michigan or Georgia, that's not going to happen. But as we get down the road here with Oklahoma, they they have big games left. Again, they, they have West Virginia, possibly West Virginia twice. That could loom large. So we'll see how that goes um, down down the stretch here. So, I, I I agree with Oklahoma at six. Um, LSU, who has losses to Alabama and to Florida, both teams, uh, obviously Alabama we talked about at the top. Florida is still ranked in the top 15. So LSU at seven, I don't have them there. That, to me, a lot of people, a lot of people give me guff about this, and I talk about it every week. UC, I have UCF at seven. I respect the nine and zero. Oh. I respect. Um, I, I just respect the, the team I've seen on the field, and I think on the field they are such a different team than any of these other teams. They go. Uh, I was talking with with a buddy of mine, and he said, "How can you respect that defense that gives up so many points?" It's kind of the same thing with Oklahoma. The offense scores so fast. It's almost like turning the ball. It's almost like a turnover the way they they play. I mean, average scoring drive for UCF is a minute 45. (laughs) So that defense is not getting much rest. They're not getting much to talk about on the sidelines because they're only – by the time they take their helmet off and grab a swig of water – the offense has scored, and they're back on the field. So it's just the way that um, UCF plays. I got them at seven. I have I actually have them flip-flopped in my rankings. I have LSU at 11, 
UCF at seven, and then the rest of them are the same. Washington State at eight, West Virginia at nine, Ohio State at ten, um, and so on and so forth. I mean, we could get into the bottom half, the the go all the way down, but I mean, really, once you get past eleven or twelve, the interesting one is twelve Syracuse because they have the game against Notre Dame this weekend. So that's what makes Syracuse interesting. Um, at 12, the rest of it is just um, filler for uh, whatever whatever the bowl games are going to be, uh, and we'll get into that as uh, more as we get closer to the bowls and things play out. So, all right, let's go to, as I always say, Warner Wolf. Let's go to videotape. Let's do some some predictions and some analysis of some of these big games coming up. Um, we'll start right off the bat, Ohio State at Maryland. Why is that an important game? Well, we saw Maryland play well against Texas um, to open the season. Maryland uh, is not going to be a pushover, but at the same time, they're not going to be um, – they're not going to be a pushover, but I don't see them being able to hang with Ohio State. Ohio State has a strange way of keeping teams in the game early. Um, and the interesting part is this spread started at 16. It's now down to 14 and a half. I still like Oklahoma. I still like Ohio State here. Um, probably by 20, I'll say Ohio State. Um, I'll say Ohio State. 34-14, uh, somewhere around there. I'll, I'll, I'll say Ohio State by 20, so that clears the spread well in that game. Pittsburgh at Wake Forest. Pittsburgh, the only reason we mention this game is because Pittsburgh leads the Coastal Division right now, um, and if, if they win out, they, they will be – I believe if they win, if they win or if Virginia loses this week, they could clinch a spot in the ACC title game. I think they beat Wake Forest. I've seen Wake Forest. I saw Wake Forest play Boston College. I was not impressed with them that much. Question is, can Pittsburgh beat them by seven? Pittsburgh turned it on Virginia Tech last week. I think they're playing with a lot of pride right now. I'm going to take Pittsburgh in this one, and I'm going to take Pittsburgh 27, 27. I'll take I'll take Pittsburgh 27-17. All right, let's just move down the list here of games. Don't don't do that. All right, so um, let's just keep going down there. Utah at Colorado, same thing about this game. Uh, just switch to the Pac-12. I'm going to go with the Pac-12 here. Um, I'm going to go with Utah in this one. I think Colorado got off to a hot start. They've had a bad last couple of weeks. Oh, we got a caller, so let me interrupt the picks here and take the call. Here we are. Are you going to work or not? Oh, there we go. Hey, how you doing, Fit Down Sports Show? Hey, Chris, it's uh, Lou. Hey, what's going on, Lou? 
Yeah, I just I was uh, hearing about some of your picks. Uh, most of it I pretty much uh, pretty much agree on. Yeah, we were just coming up to the uh, we're just coming up to the big game. I know you're a Yankee fan. This is the biggest yeah. game at Yankee Stadium this season right now. Mhm. This is the biggest game bi- biggest game being played at Yankee Stadium all year. Uh, and that and that include that includes the baseball playoffs. I mean, you got yeah. Notre Dame and Sy- Notre Dame and Syracuse. You know, I'm excited for the I'm excited for the game. game. I mean, you it, know, a lot of people think that this might that might be a pushover in Notre Dame. Syracuse is anything but a pushover. So, um, you know, oh, I, no. I, I you, keep my if, if you've if you've if you've been paying attention to this show, and of course in our in our preseason, I told you I like Syracuse in the AC. I like I love Eric Dungey. The quarterback yeah. of Syracuse, he can make things happen, and if he can run around, make a couple plays, he's he can give defenses some fits. We saw it against, we've seen it two years in a row against Clemson. We've seen it against Miami last year when Miami was actually good, um, and of course Syracuse is off to a good start again. So they could get they could give Notre Dame some trouble, and of course. Right now, Ian Book, the Notre Dame quarterback, is scheduled to start, but we know he missed last week with an injury. So mm-hmm. if if that flares up, you you don't know what's been going on all week. How ready is Brandon? I mean, obviously Notre Dame has Brandon Winbush, who has probably the two biggest wins of their season right now, with beating Michigan in Week One and winning last week against Florida State. So it's not like you're throwing a guy in there who has no experience. You're throwing a senior quarterback who's played in big games. So um, I don't expect if they have to pull Ian Book, I don't expect it to hurt them that much. The only question is how much prep time has Brandon Wimbush had, but I would still expect Notre Dame to win. I'm just checking the game right now. Let me see it. It is – I mean – I'm surprised. It's a ten and a half point spread, and it's gone up, which means people are putting their money. Which means the professional money is coming in on Notre Dame to win by more than ten and a half. I, I, I'm inclined to take Syracuse here because I think I think it'll be under that ten and a half. Um, that ten and a half number. I think you might get the ten. I, I think yeah. if it, if it were if it were the nine and a half that it opened, I probably would take Notre Dame, but because it's up to that ten and a half, I might take that extra half point and take Syracuse to uh, to be close in that one. Um, so, oh, yeah. um, so what's on your mind, Lou? I mean, it's going to be close. That's that's a given. This is not going to be a runaway for Notre Dame whatsoever. Anyway, I don't think so. And, and and if it is, that 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 would just be great for Notre Dame. You know, yeah. if Notre Dame absolutely destroys the number twelve team in the rankings right now, that just bolsters Notre Dame uh, Notre Dame's credit. So, and this is the last tough game that Notre Dame is going to have. So, um, right, they want to. They you know they're going to want to go out there and throw a statement. I I just don't think they have 
I think they have the offense to do it. I think their defense their defense is, is going to struggle with Eric Dungy. Eric Dungy, I just have belief that he'll be able to pull some magic out for at least a little while and, and make that happen. Do you think uh, Alabama's so, going to run the table? That I have to see. I have to see Alabama, what shape Alabama's in going into that championship, going into that SEC championship game. They, I mean, with with the fact that Tua, I, I don't even try to pronounce his last name, so I just call him Tua. Um, Tua, tag. with his banged up, with his banged up knee, I mean, he got banged up last week and and they had to pull him. Jalen Hurts just had surgery, their backup quarterback, so he's out. So if they have to go to a third string, obviously this week it's not a big deal because they play the Citadel. They'll be done with that game about five minutes into it. Who in their right mind would would even put them together in the same game? Well, they do do it every year. I mean, and I I think it's kind of a shot out to the Citadel. Anybody who knows what the Citadel – the Citadel is a military university, so yes. I think they, they kind of give them a – they kind of give Where them a good anyway? game. Like, huh? Where is the Citadel located? I, I, I the, forget. The, the Citadel is in I – believe, I believe it's South Carolina. Uh, oh, okay, South Carolina. So like yeah. with the Gamecocks and, and that. And with Clemson, and, 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 I mean, we saw this last year. Anybody who wants to say, why does Alabama have the Citadel on their schedule? Clemson played the Citadel at this same point last year. I, I, I think they do – I think um, teams do it every year because yeah, it is the I Citadel. That, and, and, you know. Isn't it usually at the beginning of the year and not like uh, in November, though? The SEC, the SEC does this every every year. Every year, the SEC does this. They give their teams, um, they give their teams the option of playing an FCS school um, at the end before their rivalry game, as kind of a like, hey, as a tune-up to say, hey, look, we got this rivalry game coming up. We want, we want to, we want to play this out. That that they kind of do it. They they do it every year. I mean. It's like it's the same thing as it's the same thing as every year before LSU plays Alabama. There's mm-hmm. both teams get a bye. You know, both teams right. have a bye going into that game, so it's kind of like a nudge to the SEC. The SEC people say, "Hey, we're going to give our top teams a break here before they go into their um, their uh, rivalry game, just to." to get all the cobwebs out, make sure that everybody's on the same page, um, and we have our best game at the end of the year. That's the theory of it. Um, for fans, okay, it's because, not you know, good, but it, it, I understand I understand it. I, if I were a coach, if I were Nick Saban, I would do the same thing. I, I'm going uh, – the next week I'm going to play the Iron Bowl, which right now Auburn is going to have nothing to – Auburn's going to have nothing to really play for. They're just going to, you know, their only goal is going to be to basically either beat Alabama and absolutely destroy Alabama's chances or 
hurt Alabama so bad that when they get to the championship game, there's there's not much left of them. You know, try to take as much out of Alabama as they can so that they don't win, so that Georgia can beat them, beat them uh, in the championship game. That's I get it because, you pretty know, much what's I, going on. I mean, because, you know, we always refer to those teams as what's called the cream puff schedule, and that's usually at the beginning of the year, not towards the end. Yeah, but the, the, the difference of that is Alabama plays, you know, they played Louisville, and gr- granted Louisville's a terrible team this year, but they played yeah. in the the what they call the Camping World Classic. So they always play one of those games in, in the, you know, they could have played the Citadel in week one, but they right. elected to play in that game they elected to play in ACC, they played another power team. They played another power five team in week one. So it, you could balance it out to say, hey, you know, why aren't you playing Louisville at this point? Well, they played they played their big game at the beginning of the year. So it, it, it's a balancing act when you're trying to put these schedules together of, when are you going to play your cream puff? Are you going to play them at the beginning or at the end? But yeah. I, to answer your question of do I see Alabama right now, I it would be it would be irresponsible to say that anybody can that anybody is going to beat Alabama. It, it, I mean, they just they've just gone eight quarters right. of SEC football without giving up a point. So, and that was supposed to be, it was supposed to be, their defense was supposed to be the vulnerable part, and their offense was supposed to be the wicked part, and the defense has pitched two shutouts in a row. Probably will pitch a third shutout in a row against, so they'll be going in 12 quarters going into the Iron Bowl of not giving up a point. Um, so... I don't see them losing, but again, I have to see how they come out of that. If there's a team that can get them on their schedule, it's Georgia in that championship game. And it's all going to depend on whether or not Tua is right and whether or not they have to go to Jalen Hurts. If if Jalen Hurts is still – if they have to go to Jalen Hurts, uh, uh, you know, he is a championship. He did lead them to a championship last year. You know, he didn't win the, the game, but he won all the other ones. Um, he did lead them to the championship game the year before. So it's not like you're throwing a guy in there who has no experience at all. Um, the only problem is he just had surgery. He looked last week. You could tell he was still not right. Um, and so if he's forced to play, if Tua is forced out either in the Auburn game or, you know, he has a lingering injury and does something bad where he can't – or he has to be taken off the field against Georgia, now you're, you're, get, now you're, you're putting, you know, you're putting your eggs in that basket. And um, Georgia, Georgia is, is a powerful team. They, they, if they can shut down – Alabama, which they have the defense to do, um, yeah. I wouldn't put it past Jake Fromm. 
And you got to remember, Georgia played this Alabama team last year and had the game in hand until they had the game won. It wasn't they had the game won in overtime until Tua completes that miracle where the Georgia defender just had a brain fart and didn't didn't cover the right guy. Um, uh-huh. So they. So Georgia's not going to come in and say, oh, we can't beat Alabama. They're going to say, we went toe-to-toe with these guys. Let's do it again and see where the chips fall. So that's why I say, if if you ask me to say right now, are they going to go undefeated? I would say yes, but I want to see what shape they're in coming out of the Iron Bowl um, health, health-wise. I think they'll win the game comfortably and go in undefeated but I need to see whether all their guys are going to be there because that's always an issue with Alabama late in the season. Yeah, especially with have back in, what, uh, 2013, I think it was? Yep. <laughs> the last second, the last second miracle. Yeah, they. that's what they do. Um, Just sickening. That's the, it was sickening. The kick, the kick six. That that I mean that's the other thing. Rivalry games always have something fun. Um, there's always something. There's always something that goes crazy. So you can never be too too sure about it. But um, you know that that's pretty much yeah. how we go with all of that. So Lou, um, what are your thoughts? I, I'm interested to get your thoughts. I, I posted on Facebook, and I had a couple Jets fans react to the debacle that was uh, in Jersey on Sunday. 41 points against the Buffalo Bills. What happened? Simple. I mean, like, uh, with Donald out, you know that was a that was a problem bringing their backup, and he didn't do any better, and that was a mess from the get go. And to make it worse, that uh, Donald will still be quarterback when he's uh, healed from his injuries. This team was a lost cause. That, I said this. I said this on Facebook, and I'll see if you agree with me, Lou. I I think you will. Most Jets fans have. If there was any play of any year, of any game, if there was any play that signifies Jets football, it was when, I think it was 24 nothing, and the Bills threw a, Matt Barkley threw a touchdown pass to his offensive tackle, and the Jets couldn't stop it. Right. Uh, that is just... To, uh, right when I saw that it was the offensive tackle that caught it, I said, I actually posted it on Facebook. It, this is as much, this is as Jets football as you can get. That that just spells out Jets football it, it, when you're giving up touchdowns to the offensive tackle. Yeah, I happen to agree. Yeah, uh, it, 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 it was just a mess. And we talked about it last. We talked about it last week. It was interesting. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know if you watched the game, Lou, or you know if you watched it with the sound on. It, it was funny. 
because we talked last week about Todd Bowles and his job security um, and lack thereof. But, um, uh uh-oh, hold on a minute. That's not good. All right. Um, We talked about the job. You're still here. All right, good. Hold on. Did it? It looks like you're still here, right? Yes. All right. So it's doing something. I don't know. Something crazy is going on. There we go. Now it's back up. All right. Board board mess up. Board mess ups happen. Um, anyway, uh, I want to get this in quick. Um, we we talked. If you listen to the broadcast, the announcers the entire game were talking about. Well, Todd Bowles, his job could be on the line, and these play and every sideline interview was. Well, the Jets had a team meeting, and they really said they want to play for the coach. If that was playing for your coach's job, 41 points against the Buffalo Bills, that's that's not playing for your coach's job. No. Uh, it it was just funny to me that every, every time out, every time they would come back from break, and if the Jets had the ball, they would be talking about Todd Bowles, you know, these players want to play for Todd Bowles. Leonard Williams said this, this, and this, and – it's not the coach, it's the players and whatever. I, it, it was fascinating. And then, of course, since you're in Jersey and aware of the New York media, of course, the Jets came out with the dreaded vote of confidence for um, Todd Bowles will not be fired in season, but they did not say he will be back next year. They said they won't make a move right. in season. They made sure to put mid-season in there. They made sure, they sure. of that. They they, they should have got they, they should just put him out of his misery at, at well, this point. Misery, what about us, the fans? <laughs> we we're more mis- we got more misery than he does. Well, I don't. That's the thing. The thing is, you can't bring somebody. You can't. You got to bring somebody from that. I don't think there's anybody on that staff that could take over and do no. anything. So that's the problem. And you know, you might have to. Uh, so you might have to just ride this out and figure it out. Well, all I can say is uh, that we probably can't wait for. They probably can't wait for December thirty first. That's. That they, I'm sure they can't wait for that. And not only because, the 31st, uh, the they you know they were first, you're right. That, that's the last day of the season. Black Monday. Yeah, that is Black Monday. And as we've said, that is the day that a lot of these coaches will be available. And we'll see. Hmm. We'll see where they land. We, uh, we talked What's about the 49ers way? earlier. Um, oh. Just to recap for the listeners, we talked about the 49ers and their problems but that's another thing the giant how about the giants the giants are on a roll yeah well they gotta win they gotta win on monday and they get tampa bay coming in so giants could have a winning streak here i don't know if i call three and three and eight a three and seven a winning streak though yeah but two in a row it's it's two in a row. 
and it, at, at this point, when you're when you're going into when you're going into last week at one and seven, you know you get two in a row. I'm I'm sure the Giants fans will will be happy. I mean, it, it is San Francisco and it is Tampa Bay, but for those fans that want to see wins, there you go. I, if I were a Giants fan at this point, I would say just lose. Like, can we lose these games to these teams? Because that way we get a better draft pick, but that's that's not how the Giants right. think. That's not how that's not how it should be though. I mean you just can't say, Okay, we know we're not gonna go anywhere. We suck. Let's just try to lose this game so we can get some draft picks. If you do, is that yeah. gonna guarantee you success the next season? No. I mean last year we were three and thirteen and you st- and you yep. haven't improved at all. So yep. it actually means nothing. Yeah, so we'll see what the Giants do, but you know, like I said, they got Tampa Bay this week. They got they got the win under their belt. Eli did his Eli thing where he all of a sudden looks like a uh, Hall of Fame quarterback in the last four minutes of a game, and you go on from there. All right, Lou, I gotta go because I gotta set up a. Uh, I gotta I gotta take a, a personal note here. So ooh, ooh. I gotta let you go. I got six minutes left and I gotta set something up. So uh always nice hearing from you and hopefully we'll be able to be talking about a happy Jets. Uh are the Jets playing the Jets are playing this week, right? Yeah. I thought maybe they were on a bye, but Oh wait, but I think they are. I'll have to recheck the schedule. They, I'll have well, I'll have to check it. They could they could use the buy, I'll tell you that much. I'm just checking it right now. Let me see. Their next game is 11:25. So yeah, they're on they're on buy. So good news is the Jets won't lose this week. But if there's yeah, any team that could lose in their if there's any team that can lose on their bye week, I wouldn't put it past the Jets. Yeah. All right, Lou. Thanks for calling. All right. All right, Chris. We'll thanks. talk to you next week. Yep. All right. So got a little interrupted in in our in our picks. Of course, I'll I'll make more picks as we go. We got the big ones in though. Um, let me make a, a final pick here um, on the biggest game. Well, I talked about the biggest game. I said I'm going to take Syracuse. I'm going to take Notre Dame to win, Syracuse to cover. I think they'll cover the ten and a half. Um, and uh, for my final college pick, uh, I'm, I'm going to go with um, in UCF against Cincinnati. Seven and a half point spread. I think UCF is going to um, do typical UCF things where they give up a lot of yards in the first half, shut down Cincinnati in the second half, end up winning this game. I, I would say UCF wins it something like 41-29, somewhere around there. Um, that's, that's my score there. All right. For the end of the show here, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys a little insight to uh, – 
how we do things around here and what, what we do. Um, so every year on Thanksgiving, we do an annual um, Thanksgiving football game with, with guys in the town. And if you're in the, t- if you're in the state of Connecticut and um, you're, you're looking for an app, uh, you're looking for something to do Thanksgiving morning, get out of the house. So you don't have to be, uh, be around the chaos that goes on with the cooking and whatever. If you're looking to get away from that, get out in the morning. Um, we usually meet at the field at around nine, nine thirty. We meet at, at Guilford high school. If you're listening to this, you're in Connecticut, you want to play some football, come on down. Um, we, we've done it. This is, this will be the seventh. It, it says on here, the seventh annual, um, it, it's really the seventh annual game that, you know, all of the guys that are, have, have been getting together. It, it, that's our seventh. It's the seventh year of that. Me, Joey cash. We've been doing this since our senior year of high school. So, um, you know, it, it well more than seven years of us playing together. This year, though, has a uh, little little twist and a little little difference to it. Um, my uh, uh, my friend that I, I played uh, sports with all throughout uh, my career, um, my friend Joey, um, his brother passed away earlier this year and we um you know his brother Tommy always came he was always a part of the games even though he was younger he, we would always drag him out we'd be like Tom you're playing uh oh, I don't want to we'd be like Tom you're coming grab him and uh, you know he played he played in every game um so he passed away earlier this year um and we renamed the game the uh, the Tom Capone Classic, um, and so we're going to be playing the game on again. It's Thanksgiving morning, uh, and we usually meet at nine thirty. Game usually doesn't start till like ten by the time everybody wakes up. Um, so we're going to play the game, and this year we we've set up a uh, scholarship fund in Tom's name um, associated with the game that we're going to play um, but, uh, through the Guilford football boosters club. My friend Ryan has set up a, uh, an event. And if you want to donate uh, to the, to the cause, to this scholarship in, in Tom's name, it'll be given to a Guilford football senior every year. Um, you can, you can go, you can go on PayPal and, Find my boy R Krauchik. That's R K R A U C H I C K at yahoo.com. Um, or you can go to Venmo Ryan Dash Krauchik, the same name, K R A U C H I C K. And you can donate. Most of us are given about 25 bucks. Um, but again, Whatever you feel comfortable donating, uh, if you want to donate to the cause, um, every, every all the proceeds will go to a a a, uh, a Guilford a graduating senior from the high school football team, 
Um, and it will be in Tommy's name. So um, I'll mention more about it next week um, as we get ready for Thanksgiving and we get ready for the, uh, for, for the, the end of the season push in both, both football. So, all right. Um, that'll do it for our show tonight. Um, again, if you want more information, um, you can just con- you can contact me on Facebook, Chris Dietz, um, on how to get that involved in, in you know how to get involved, or you can contact Fit Down Sports Show on Facebook. Um, you know, find a way to to get in touch with us. Well, we'll find a way to uh, make sure y- you can help out with the cause. So that's my little uh, tribute there, and. Um, We'll talk more about it next week uh, as we get ready. And, of course, we'll have stuff live from the game, and we'll, we'll, we'll do a lot of stuff uh, in the coming weeks. So great show tonight. I want to thank Niners Faithful for uh, for calling in, giving us the uh, lowdown on the Niners, on, on all things 49ers. Of course, uh, you can listen to his show Monday nights, Monday afternoons out here, 3 o'clock Eastern, uh, oh, 6 o'clock out here, 3 o'clock out west, uh, Niners Faithful on Radio AFS. Um, definitely check them out. If, you're play, if your team is playing the 49ers, you want to listen to that program too because they give you a lot of insights on what to look for. So don't think it's just for 49ers fans. If your team is playing the 49ers, you want to get some inside info, go ahead and listen to Niners Faithful. We want to thank Lou for calling in. Um, And, of course, we thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week.